great to be here with my good friend David McCallum. Hi, David. Hello, how are you? Very well, very well. I love that haircut. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> just coming out of lockdown, had to get a wee bit taken off. So right, right. No much left to take off mine. And we were speaking earlier, and, and you've just changed your uh, not so much what you do there, but your role, isn't it, at Rangers now? Is it professional phase manager at the academy? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's been a slight rewording, um, a rebranding of, of some of the, the kind of positions within the club and with that obviously brings slightly different job roles as well. From my own point of view, I was overseeing, I was the head of the senior academy, mm. as, as the title was at that time. Um, now it's changed to the professional development phase. So again, I head up that phase, which is good. Still, kind of you're working with the 18s players on a daily basis and with a new coach coming to work with us in that year, uh, Cameron Campbell. Yeah. Um, still overseeing the under-16s, which yeah. is again another part of my role which, which existed from last season anyway. Um, the, the biggest addition to my role for the season ahead is, is working with the UFA Youth League squad. Okay. Um, fortunately, we, we've managed to qualify for that programme again for the year ahead. I know how beneficial that was for uh, not only the players from last season, but the, the staff that were involved in it as well, the exposure to competitive European Games programmes, which is, uh, is building for MB's development. So yeah, looking forward to that as well, Donald. Just um, before we go back and talk about your own, how you got into football and, you know, who influenced you, how important do you think that has been or is it for young players to continue play at the highest level they can? You know, you know we're talking about, you know, the, the Rangers at the Youth League playing in Europe. How important do you think it is for them to challenge themselves all the time? Yeah, I think there's uh, different types of challenges, Donald. Mm. I think that's probably the key thing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we, we'll look at our games programme within the club and try, you, you'll look at certain games being ones that would be more challenging than others. Yeah. I think that's natural. Um, and there'll be different types of challenges within that. So yeah. Yeah, we can challenge the players by playing them up a year group, if that's yeah. the right thing to do for the individuals. Yeah. Um, the team, in terms of challenges, it might come within certain games that you, you get within the domestic programme. Mm. But playing the European programme, we've obviously had that now right through the academy, albeit um, it might be tournaments that we go to or, yeah. or, or friendly games that we arranged to try and make sure we get a bestie best type scenario. I think it's huge. I mean, you always want to try where you can take the players out of their comfort zone mm. where possible so that you stretch them a little bit. You try and see how they are when they struggle. Um, I think if you see the players always being in an environment where it's straightforward, they always do things mm. well, I guess you never quite know how they'll cope when the game becomes difficult because naturally, our objective is always going to be can we get the players to our first team? Um, mm. And that'll always bring different challenges, whether it be the, the, the challenge from the stands, which, you know, from or yeah. even just the general public who always expect Rangers to do certain, you know, always expect them to do well. Um, so, yeah, we always have to find a way to make sure our players have seen different scenarios um, and been challenged in different ways so that when that challenge does come when they're older and it's more more relevant in terms of the, 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 the first-team environment, then it's always good to find out how each of these, the, these players cope mm. in those moments. Great. So when you think back to, you know, being a kid, how did you get into football yourself? Was it the, the same story as most of us playing with your mates, you know, at school and in the, the street? Or? Yeah, I think that, that you've just, you just summed up. Don't. My dad mm. wasn't really into football. He became yeah. more in, interested in football as myself and my brothers. We're getting to that age of kind of seven, eight, nine, where it became, this was your life. It was yeah. pretty much that you're... Your, your day revolved round about having a ball under your arm and, and taking it out of the street and find out who's ready to go and play. Um, you, you go to school to, to play football before school starts 
in your, in your head as school's growing, you're waiting for that bell to go, so you're playing school, you're playing yeah. football at the playground as well. And it just grew from that. I think, you know, that that was our biggest um, sort of driver as a kid. You know, as soon as an opportunity to go outside and play football, uh, and then, you know, you, you'll see, you remember as well, you played with so many, you remember that, that brand spanking new football was the yeah. best thing in the world, but it didn't take long for that ball to become what we best described as a tatty. And that's <laughs> about, but you still played. Um, so, yeah, whether it was the streets, whether it was the parks, and uh, whether it was the school playground, that was just our, our motivation. It was just to get out and play football as often as you possibly could. Yeah. And who influenced you? I know that's it. Now we're, we're talking as adults looking back, aren't we, about influencing them. But at the time, sometimes you're not aware of it until you reflect back. But who influenced you, you know, in your youth career, you know, about football or about life generally? Um, I, the natural thing is to, to, to go to your parents in terms of their support. And, um, and you know, back then when you're, when you're a, a boys club player, you relied so so much on your parents to get to where you need to be. You know, I look at the support we we provide to. I know parents do. I know a lot of players yeah. now, but I look at us as a club providing transport for players and different bits yeah. and pieces that that we didn't have back then. You either could make it um, or you couldn't, which was a, which was an actual challenge. I was fortunate that, that my dad was very supportive. My mum, obviously, very supportive in getting us. I'm, I'm saying us because I have two brothers. Yeah. You know, an older brother, even half older, the same as a younger brother, the same. So we were all interest, interested in football. So we had that, which was great. My growing up, though, I think early on, I quite quickly identified with an idol as such, mm. and that was probably the bit in the back of my head. I yeah. wanted to be David Cooper. Mm. David Cooper was my um, role model. Um, mm. Fortunately, I met him as I got older, and he was getting to the last stages of his career as well. Um, but he was the one in my head that I wanted to be. So when we ran out in that that playground or whatever, and people shouted which which player they wanted to be, I was the I wanted to be David Cooper, and that's mm. where I, I tried to replicate on the pitch and thoughts I was never ever at that level but mm. to to have that sort of person that you wanted to work towards being was uh, probably the bit in my head that tried to you know I was a left winger as a kid um, probably not probably no doubt I, 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 didn't, I didn't have the, the talent that probably needed to be a left winger where you had to be that real one yeah. that opened teams up as I got older and I started to become from up until under 12s actually probably quite a prominent sort of playing stage, I was I did quite well, I was quite quick, I could get away from players and scored a lot of goals as a result of that. As I got older, I found the stages of 12s to 16s quite challenging mm. because I was always very small. So I relied on a lot of support, again, from family mm. to help me through those stages. Um, and it was only when I got to the stage, it was kind of 16, 17, 18, I actually found my way again in the game. Okay. Yeah. And um, I found that actually there was probably three stages of my, of my childhood as a footballer, yeah. doing well, struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt the struggle was partly because of my size. Yeah. But then as I, as I, as I tried to continue in the game, I couldn't be a left winger or a forward player because I couldn't influence the game the way I did. And I found that I actually had to rethink what I wanted to be as a footballer. Yeah. And I ended up becoming a fullback. And I felt becoming a left back, actually, my understanding of the game was good. Mm. My use of the ball was, was pretty decent. I could cross. But I wasn't quick enough to get away from people the way I was mm. when I was really young. So I almost re, re, kind of rethought of, of how I influenced myself in the game. Alex McLeish became a big part of that mm. because he was one that seemed something in me as a fullback yeah. that he gave an opportunity to be full time. Was that uh, at Motherwell then? Yeah, I was at oh. Motherwell. So, so he was he was big on that because at that point from 16 to 18 when your mates are getting the full time contract, mm. I didn't get it at that stage. Mm. I, I ended up leaving school and waited another year before I got that full time contract. So I was fortunate that, that Alex had seen something in me as a fullback that he felt he could work with. Um, and I had two years at Motherwell, and 
that was probably the bit where I worked out what I was as a player, mm. if I'm being honest. I really worked out where my strengths sat and where I could influence the game. Um, and, and the areas also that I had to continue to learn if I wanted to still influence the game further, particularly in the kind of the senior side of the game. So, so yeah, there's different stages, different challenges. Um, but, you know, I, I loved every minute of it, even though the challenging bits were there. I found that as a, that was an area where I had to work out how to cope when it was, was much more difficult because the first part of under 11s and 12s, it was, it was straightforward. But then 13s, 14s, 15s, it became, wow, this is different. And I need to, if I want to keep playing this game, I need to deal with this and find a new way of playing. You must have been, now, knowing you like I do, I see you coaching the whole time. And I think you're, you know, a, you're a very thoughtful. You're a great coach and you think about the game and then you think, communicate it. But from what you're saying there, you must have been like that as a player as well. You must have been quite thoughtful as a player to kind of see yourself kind of morphing back and working from your strengths. Were you aware you were doing that at the time? Now, now I am. Yeah. Back then I wasn't. Back then yeah. it was um, because, you you know, I think the game's changed an awful lot, Donald, because obviously yeah. we, you, you look back to the coaches that we worked with then, a lot of them were volunteers and, and yeah. didn't have the same support that we have now as coaches. Mm. So that naturally then transfers down to the players as well. And that's, that's some great people growing up as a kid that, that spent a lot of time um, working with youth players and and, and listen, let, let's be brutally honest. Back then, um, there was less thought about development. It was more about yeah. winning games. Yeah, it was. It was winning games at, at boys' club, whatever age you were. It was winning games, winning trophies, and all the different bits that came with that. And people enjoyed that. Let's they can't yeah. lie about it either. Yeah, they enjoyed that. I think the natural yeah. bit of wanting to win, but it was probably more evident then mm. and and more obvious. So I look back to as people. The coach is always good. You know, I, I never had any issue with the coaches. Yeah. I actually spoke to them um, to try and help find a way to get into the game. But in terms of me, yeah, I think as I was going through that stage, it was probably when I got to the kind of 16, 17 stage, I started to work out probably what I was going to be. I didn't really know as I was, as I was finding those challenges yeah. at 13s, 14s. At that point, it's like a shock. You're going, how can I go from being a really prominent player mm. to actually then not so much? And you're, you know you're not growing. You know your yeah. mates who are six foot already at 14, 15 years old and I'm still sitting as this wee guy working it. How can I not get away from him now? But then you, you start to you know, realise um, that you can't do what you did. And you have to find a way of, of influencing the game. And I was always tied enough with, in terms of my use of the ball, but from a different year of the pitch now as I started to go back the way, as I say, towards, mm-hmm. towards fullback, which really came around about 16, 17. You're, you know... Been working, you know, with young players for a long time out there, you know, and, and at a high level, and and we've seen it, and you've seen it, and I'm speaking to a lot of the guys on the podcast. And it's surprising, and maybe it's not as surprising, how many of them said they came through that period of say, there's a period in their career, in their youth career, where things start to get sticky, either because of you said smaller in size, or other examples where they've had the growth spurts. And what they used to be able to do, they couldn't do. Their balance goes. How important do you think it is, uh, as a player, to be able to kind of come through those periods at a youth level? Um, I think every journey is different, Donald. I think um, it's all right. People find different challenges at different yeah. points, and what you can't do is tell them how to cope with it. You can, yeah. you, you, you can only, I guess, from your own personal experiences, try and relate to it and, mm. and give them support as a result of that. Will they benefit from having a challenge of that nature? Mm. Possibly. 
but some might not. Don't know. I guess I guess it can be that individual person. You, from your line of work, obviously you recognise those that cope with those challenges well, and those that maybe have more difficulties. And yeah. I, 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 the other bit that's huge is absolutely the support. Absolutely. Well, that's what I was getting at, really. Yeah. Is you know, so, it's that bit about having people around you to get through yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, listen, uh, me, and my dad. It was it's an interesting spell because he probably found that spell more difficult than I did mm. because mm. he found it hard to work out probably more so because he didn't really have the football background. Yeah. Um, but he, obviously, he's, he's since that stage, he's been very involved in it. But I think back and I speak to him now about it and. He find it difficult, and there's times he, you know, if I wasn't playing, he would find it hard to stay around about there in the pitch to watch, and um, because back then it was three subs, and they yeah. didn't all go on. Yeah, didn't all go all go on, and, yeah. and therefore, you know, it was pretty much the same ones every week. And I look yeah. now, certainly, you know, we have a, a, a kind of procedure that we try and follow up to certain stages to ensure that there's there's relevant time being yeah. offered to the players, yeah. and it does change as you get older. Of course, yeah. it does. But um, yeah, I think the support of your, particularly your parents, is huge, yeah. um, because they're the ones you go home to, they're the ones that you spend most time with as a, as a football coach. Um, in comparison, obviously, to, to parents, it's a very small percentage of time that you have with those players. So you're hoping that the, yeah. the support in, the, in and around the house and, and the friends are there to try and make sure that they can pick them up and the, the difficult spells are taking place. And at what point, dear, did you take an interest in coaching? Because even speaking to you now, you're quite you were. You know, when you're playing and playing at a young age, you, you had a good awareness of the game and your strengths and weaknesses, what was happening. When did you find yourself consciously taking an interest in the coaching side? I didn't, Donald. Is you didn't? I didn't. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I, I think that this, quickly to try and shorten the story, I've had too many, I had too many operations in my right knee. Mm. So from the age of 16 through to 24, um, which was, I guess, you're your, your sort of, well, building from a mm. boys' club football to professional, um, I had five operations in, in wow. those in that spell, and it was getting to a point where I was training, or playing on a Saturday or whatever the game was, and I was still struggling five, four, five days into the, the, the after the game, and I was training once and then playing again. So in my head, I knew my time was starting to change in terms of having a professional career. Um, I built a different career pathway. As a, as a driving instructor, as it turned out, because I wanted to prolong my play, playing career as long as I could, knowing yeah. that it was always going to be at a certain level. Yeah. Um, I got a chance to, when I left Partick Thistle, where it was probably the most successful spell in yeah. terms of winning things, we got promotion uh, two years out of two, to go from League Two, second division up to the Premiership. But I went to Queen's Park off the back of that because my, I knew my knee was struggling. Um, Queen Patrick Thistle got to the Premier Division, so I was never going to play there in the back of where I was. So I went to Queen's Park to get the chance to play at Hamden Park every second week because I thought, well, yeah. if I'm going to stop playing soon, then I quite fancy that because it's a yeah. wonderful place to play. It yeah. was excellent. So I was thought it was probably the biggest decision that I made because by going there, mm. I played for a year and a half. Billy Stamp became the manager. Um, I, had, I basically went for an operation and I knew when I went this was going to be a, a, a probably a difficult outcome. I then was taken into the office the day after to be told that, look, you really need to stop playing because yeah. if you continue to play, you're going to struggle to walk after whatever amount of years. Yeah. So it was, there was decisions taken for me yeah. that's what was going to happen. But stopping at Queen's Park as a player was was the best thing that happened to me yeah. because the support that I had there was, was second to none. And yeah. Billy there, obviously, who was a big influence, albeit over a short spell as from a playing manager's point of view, um, because obviously he was the manager and I was a player at that point, and 
a short spell working with him, but then working with him as a coach was a good learning curve for me. Mm -hmm. um, Andy McLennan was there at the time as well, who was also very um, much at the back end of trying to support me, because the two of them obviously got together and said, look, David stopped playing, what do we think? Is there a career from here? And, and mm -hmm. they came to me and, and offered me a, an avenue that I'd never mm -hmm. thought about. Well, so it was just that you hadn't thought of it, kind of, and then just... Right place, oh. right time, Donald. Right. That was the only way to describe it. Um, and the support I got from those guys and then from others within the club and the club themselves in terms of my, my coach education pathway, mm. um, allowing me to go and work with Northern Ireland under-19s mm. during my working spell with, Queen, with Queen's Park as well because they allowed me to take time off to go and do that. So there's different, there's a lot of different things in there that the club gave and supported me that mm. I just hadn't thought about. I hadn't thought about. Queen's Park have a great reputation for developing players there. What, what do you think it is about the club there that, that works? Well, I think, it, I think at the time, again, I want to go back to my experience, because yeah. obviously I don't know before and I don't know so much yeah. where it is now. But my time, again, it's just the people that were there, the motivation's different. Mm. So at that point, they were amateur. It wasn't driven yeah. by making money. Um, mm. But through a period of time, I've seen players develop and move on to have very successful careers within the game as a player. Um, they've also had you know, player, previous people there that have been players or coaches that have moved on again in good careers as coaches yeah. at, at various levels of Scottish game and indeed um, you know, worldwide as well. You look at Neil Collins as a former yeah. Queen's Park player is now out working in the States. Mm. Um, you, you know, it's just a, it's a club that, that, from my experience, prided themselves on support and developing. Um, and I can only speak highly of, of what happened from my individual pathway. And I, I like to think that players that, that through the time that I was there, and certainly I don't mean through myself, through the group of people we had at my time as head of youth when I was there. Um, I, you know, you look at them, you like to look, look back and talk about their experiences. Queen's Park has been quite influential. Yeah. And if not only what they are as players, but certainly what they are as people. Yeah, I think there's a great, you know, just when you're speaking there and I think about Queen's Park and think about it. There's a great humility about that, I think, and because you never hear, you know, them saying, "Oh, we did this or we did that." Anything, isn't it? It's. Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. It's there to support people. I think, and that's, yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's, 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 from differently, like I mean, at my time, obviously, when I, when I stopped playing, um, mm. I, I was under 17s coach for six months. Mm. So that well, it's just a little longer six months. That was mm. from October through till the end of that season. Mm. Um, and then Billy had asked me if I wanted to get involved as his assistant with the first team, yeah. which was great because I'm 24 or 25 at that mm. point, Donald, and I'm mm. working in the first team environment, working yeah. with players at 34, 35. Yeah. So you're working with players that are 10 years old on you, guys that have played some real, real good levels. I look at back Paul Harvey, who had spent mm. some time at uh, Manchester United mm. and you know, played with Motherwell first team, etc. So you're working with players as a 24-year-old coach with um, guys who are coming towards a, the, end of, the end of the stage of their career. Um, so you're, you're kind of, I look at that and then that was a great learning curve for me because I'm working with Billy. And one of the best pieces of advice that Billy gave me, out with all the different mm. you know, personal touches in terms of and understanding how you coach within the game as well, was to find my voice mm. as a coach. So it's almost like, yeah, you know, you might believe what you say, but if you don't deliver it in a manner in which you believe mm. it, then the players won't believe you. So that was one of the pieces of advice that I always found that, mm. st that stuck with me. Mm. Um, that whenever I'm coaching is to really, if you deliver the, the message that you believe in in a way mm. that players hear you, then the more chances, the, the, the more likely they'll they'll kind of go with you at the same time as well. So that was a big, a big part as well. 
Um, I then went to the head of youth at Queen's Park for, mm. for five seasons, which was different now because I'm then, I'm then working with, that was a full-time job for me. Um, mm. I've got a group of 20 plus coaches or different staff members that I'm managing mm. who are volunteers. So yeah. none of them get paid. So you're, you're trying to then find the right people, find the right skill level of people, mm. um, support them in their coaching pathway in terms of their education as well. So you're trying to bring all that together and still meet criteria set by the SFA. Yes. You must have certain level of qualifications, etc., yeah. etc. Et so that was a difficult, um, but a great learning curve for me as an individual, not, not even from a football perspective, from just a management perspective. Yeah, yeah. Have you, and now you're at Rangers, and that's journey in relatively a short time, you know, you've taken in a lot, you know, a lot of coaching and, and seen, you know, from someone outside the game, someone who's looking at the game just now, I think a lot of people would say, that the game's changed. You know, that's why I hear a lot of people say, oh, it's changed, or it's got more complicated, or they're making it too fancy. Do you see the game changing as a coach in the middle of developing young players? David, in any way? Yeah, I think people change, Donald. Yeah. And because people have changed and society's changed, then it actually has an impact. I don't think it's just football. I think it's, it's, it's you know, every working environment now, I think there's a different way of working with people. Yeah. which naturally then brings a change to the, the, the job that you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. So even in my time as a coach starting out to now, yeah, I think people are a little... You, you, I think they probably want more information from you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we can always refer back to here's what we did and here's what I was taught. And, and mm-hmm. some of that will, will still stand. I mean, values and, and, and you know just morals and humility, I think, are, are, are traits that you hope people, many people have. But I do think that, that the way we coach is different now. Mm. Um, people will argue that we maybe give too much, but I think sometimes, unfortunately, you have to give what people need. Yeah. And, and we've now got skills and skill sets and technology that we can use to support that. And I look mm. at now um, working with players, um, they, they almost crave more from you. Yeah. But equally, we still have to try and give them the opportunity to make a mistake at the same time. So we can't tell them, tell them, tell them and then assume that they know. Because if we keep telling them, then all they're doing is showing you what you know. Yeah. I think there's a bit where you have to step back and almost allow them to make a mistake and then try and support them through that that, that mistake sort of situation, especially working in, in you know, youth development. I mean, I'm working under 18s and, and, and 16s. These guys will make mistakes. Yeah. Um, how we speak to them certainly changed. Yeah. Because previously when these guys made mistakes, then it could have been a little bit sterner yeah. in the way that they're spoken to. But now we have to speak to them in a way to try and almost make it a, okay, so you've made that, so what would you have done differently? How would you look at it again? And try and go down more of a, a Q&A type scenario yeah. um, and try and work out what they know before we get to a point of saying, okay, right, I hear you now. And then we start going down the route of what, what outcome we would like to have gone. In, in, in you know, we were speaking earlier about, you know, players and, and players being patient for getting their opportunity, wherever it is. Do you think the same's true for a coach now more than ever in terms of just understanding people and being able to have patience with a player getting them to where you want them to be within a team? Yeah, uh, absolutely, Donald. But again, I'll probably get back to it as a coach. Some, I guess, each person's journey will be different Mm. and how how they get to where they want to get to will be different and for different reasons. Um, Mm. So as a coach, if we're working with a player, then there's no doubt that we have to 
show more patience for a lot of them to try and make sure they still get to the best possible outcome. Yeah. But as a coach, um, it's, it's similar, isn't it? Because yeah. some coaches have got real drive and determination to get to the very whatever they de- whatever they determine to be the top level. Because again, everybody's coaches' aspirations will be different as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and some will get there really quickly. Some might need to go a different route to get to the, the desired outcome. So I think you as an individual, mm-hmm. still having the drive, because the drive will help you get an ambition and, and the, the, the goal, the target. But there's probably patience will be required mm-hmm. because it won't it won't just happen like that. It won't yeah. just happen like that. So there's got to be a bit of patience in there as well. Mm-hmm. Probably the frustration for for those that have those those targets is that they might see somebody else get to where they want to get to quicker than 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 what they have, and that's yeah. probably the bit that kind of upsets the apple cart a little bit. Yeah. But against back the industry we're in, Donald is so different. Yeah. It's so so different. Um, it takes somebody just taking a liking to what you are as a person yeah. and what attributes and skill sets that you have that can then go and um, support or, or enhance whatever programme they're running. Yeah, it's interesting there, isn't it? Because when you're speaking, I'm thinking, you know, you, that whole concept of flow, you know, as a player, you know, when you're just, and I always think of flow as like when you're a kid and you're playing in the street and your mom has to shout you in because you lose time, you know, yeah. you're just caught yeah. in it. But, you know, as, as a player, there's those moments, isn't it, where everything's just, you're on fire and you're not thinking about it, you're seeing and doing. But then it's gone and you're That's forcing it. your way back into it. No I often issue. think as a coach, yeah, there's moments like that as well, isn't it, where everything comes together. And... Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was more obvious as a player, that yeah. flow as you're describing. Yeah. But you're right, as a coach, you still have those moments. and. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and when you get it, it's trying to keep your finger on it, isn't it? It's trying to, 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 to work out. It's, it's almost taking a step back from what you're doing and actually working out what, what did you do then that actually got you the outcomes that you've got. And, and again, the, the question is, what you did then, is it still relevant or has it changed? See, I think that's a great question, and that's where I was getting at is in terms of a coach, isn't it? Where, you know, you'll have one group of players and and then ev- and everything just seems to be working right. And yeah. A lot of them move on and a new group yeah. comes in and everything's changed again. Absolutely. And it stops working. And it gets, I remember it was in the, I think it was in the pool license. We got asked that question of, okay, how do you see your job as a coach in the year 2030? Yeah. And who would have back in 2010 or, or, or 2000 mm-hmm. looked at 2020 and work out, you know, what we're doing now in terms of what we're using technology-wise and different bits and pieces. So I even look at the, the lockdown spell, Donald, mm. as a coach. And I remember us getting to the point where we um, we recognised that, the, that we were going to go through a pause and what we were doing, but we didn't know how long it was going to be. And mm. But right away, we had a week of planning in our, in, as a small group of mm. staff to work out how we could still impact the players yeah. during this spell. So we're doing things now, Donald, that I didn't know how to do. Yeah. And it's not, I knew it worked with computer, but I didn't know yeah. how I could work with players remotely so easy yeah. as, as what yeah. we're doing now. Yeah. But we'd to learn so quickly. Because yeah. if we didn't, we'd effectively lose contact time with players yeah. to try yeah. and keep their development progressing. So, yeah, I think it's just describing there. It's what's what relevant and yeah. what, what's still relevant. Mm. It could be that the, the players, as you've described, the group of players have moved on, so it's a new group coming in. So not only does that mean that the football has changed, but the person's changed. Yeah. So actually, what are these people like now, mm. as well as what, what type of player are they, and how you can then influence them at the same time. So you, that, as that time keeps passing by, so long as he's an under-18 coach at Rangers, time will evolve, players will move on, 
and I'll have to think of or find new ways to work with yeah. the new groups as they come through. And it's no easy, but it's something that's it's challenging, but that's part of keeping yourself. Yeah. Um, keep, the best way to say it is probably keeping yourself relevant. Mm. I think that's a great way of keeping yourself relevant, isn't it? It's been just been, it's a cliche, but it's through that thing about being open to change, because now's the best example ever, and I know we're slightly coming out of it, but nothing will be the same. No. You know, that's it moved. Things have shifted. Absolutely. I think that's, that's, that's the most important bit that if you, if you always did what you always did, yeah. then some things that would be successful. But there'll come a point where what you always did will need to change because yeah. success changes. Yeah. When you look at, at your coaching career so far, dear, what is some of, um, I suppose, the highlights for you? And I think it's why it would be useful would be for, I often think as a youth coach, one of the hardest things to do is often your successes or perceived success would be for other people would be away in the future. You know, someone might make it to the first team five years after they've moved on from you or four years or yeah. so man you know, or grading or having a sense of what you're doing i think is quite hard and it takes a special type of person to to be good at that what would be some of your i suppose highlight reels for coaching and it doesn't have to be winning things or that is what gives you the most pleasure i think any coach that's in this job if they if they didn't um, have the, the target of player development as they're, mm. they're kind of at the forefront of their, their, their mind, mm. then they probably be, it's probably not the right job for them, to be honest with you, because I think yeah. your job is to develop players. Yeah. So when you see players find a way to, mm. to have a career, um, ideally at the level that you're currently working at in the first mm. instance. So if you look at yourself at Rangers and you see, like you said, Nathan Patterson mm. getting opportunities just now. I see James Maxwell playing mm. the other night, Lewis Mayo, Jamie Barjonis. You see all these guys getting the chance to play with the first team. That's got to be something that puts a smile on a coach's face yeah. because then you, you see that, that what they've done and what they're doing um, is getting recognised by the first yeah. team staff. And that's ultimately yeah. got to be your goal. Um, you see, that's uh, in the Queen's Park, but there's a number of players that, that spell clearly and I always remember that really, really sort of vividly in my mind because we're, you know, we're, we're a third division team or a, yeah. a league three team in, in, in the Scottish sort of setup. But as an, an academy, they were competing, participating in what was considered the, the kind of top level. Yeah. Of it. And then you look at the back of that, you look at some of the players that come out of that program mm. that went on, and had, you know, Andy Robertson's an easy one to, yeah. to speak about and what he's achieved. Barry Douglas yeah. is another one. Who has just won? They won the the championship with Wolves mm. and got promoted yeah. to the Premiership. He's now done the same with Leeds United. Mm. And you've got Lawrence Shankland, you've got Aidan Conley, you've got Blair Spittle. So, so these are the ones that clearly make you know put the smile on your face, and that that's got to be the biggest driver for what you do. Yeah. From a personal point of view, um, you obviously getting your working your way through your qualifications is mm. is a big part of the journey. Because without the qualifications, you can't do the jobs. And mm. um, well, have the, have by doing the courses, they, they certainly had a, an impact in how I tried to progress and develop. Mm. But through the journey, you also bring in other things as well by working with different people in different areas, working in different environments. By you know going, this is that I'm really fortunate, Rangers, because mm. we get so much opportunity to go and coach against different teams in different countries. Um, and find out with if your methods and styles 
that we have as a club and academy can actually be effective in, in different environments as well. So that's always something that I find, you know, that very worthwhile and very, very beneficial for me as a, as a coach. Um, so yeah, they, they, that's, you know, I look at where we've been as a, as a Rangers academy, South Africa, Hong Kong, mm-hmm. Qatar, you know, all over the, you know, effectively the world in, in many ways. Um, mm-hmm. And that helps to challenge me as a, an individual as well. Yeah. If, you know, we touched on it earlier, David, and just to finish would be, what advice would you give? And I know you're, 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 you're a humble guy and you wouldn't say to people, do this or do that. But one of the things I, I notice, I think coaching as a career now is far more prevalent earlier. So people are looked to say, I want to make coaching my profession far earlier than they ever did. What would be your advice to, to someone either coming out from playing or maybe actually at 16, 17, thinking, I want to be a football coach. What, what kind of guidance or advice would you say to them broadly? That is really, really difficult to actually mm. work out because again, it goes back to the, similar to the player, everybody's journey is going to be different. Yeah. Um, if I look at, you obviously you're talking about you know, youngsters, um, I think it's very worthwhile for I even look at some of our players, it's very worthwhile potential for them to start looking at mm. their coaching pathway because mm. it might help them look at the game a little bit differently yeah. and start to understand what we have to think about it from a coaching perspective. I think probably the, you know a lot of the things is, is just to be so open mm. to you know crave information, get to work out what people you know how other people work, work out what works for you mm. because it, you know what works for me Donald, isn't necessarily going to be the yeah. case for yourself. And I think it's yeah. that bit of of just taking as much as you possibly can, mm. being respectful that, that that what might work for me doesn't work for you, but still not dismissing the fact that that is, you know, still um, somebody's way of going to, you know, get to where they've got to. Mm. Um, I think being brave is, is probably a big bit as well. Brave, what I mean by that is, when I look at my journey, I didn't really take any great risks in the sense of um, moving away trying a different country or whatever it may be. But I think sometimes you go to a different country, sometimes opportunities might open up quicker. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's a British culture, but sometimes it, it maybe um, opportunities maybe don't open up so quickly or so easily. Um, but I've seen other people go to other countries and, and, and progress within their pathway, maybe a little bit different, a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably be, try and be creative. So try not to continue to be, well, this is what I've always done. Try and be creative and try and look for things that, that are different and, and, and um, try and bring that to your sort of skill set. Yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. A few different well, things in there. No a few different things there. Yeah. And I, I ask you that because I've noticed, you, you know, I've been doing, especially involved in the coach education quite a while now. And, and I notice people getting into it far younger now. And I think it's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good yeah. thing just to even if a player to open your mind and look at the game, but also like, as you said there, you know, be brave to do different things or yeah. take a session at your club, yeah. do things like that. So but I was, I don't know, I look at in my journey from Queen's Park as a head of youth at a short spell at the SFA working yeah. with Parkey and yeah. uh, Fleets, yeah. which was three months. And, yeah. and it was only three months, not because of any other, I got the opportunity I went mm-hmm. to, the SFA and I'm looking forward to working then within yeah. the coach education department um, and that for me to leave Queen's Park which at that time would have been considered a safe job for me Yeah. but I looked at it and I thought okay what's the next step for me mm. and I wasn't sure what it was going to be but parking fleets were really 
you know, Kane and sold me what the opportunity might have been with them. But within two months, I got the opportunity to go yeah. to the Rangers with, with, yeah. with Craig. And yeah. again, I, I could have stayed with SFA and take what might again could have been considered yeah. a safe option yeah. because of I'd just take on the role. Parking yeah. fleets made it clear they wanted me to yeah. work with them. Um, and I'm not sure what that job might have became. Yeah. Because it was very much in its infancy. But yeah. when Rangers came calling, I didn't take that. Don't when does that opportunity yeah. come up again? Because I've got a wonderful job working in, in an unbelievable facility with great people, uh-huh. with some of the best players in the country. If I didn't take that opportunity, when would it have come up? I know. And that was the that was the, the, my brave step, I guess, to take yeah. to move out of what might have been a comfort zone, yeah. um, and a, an environment that was, was going to be scrutinised probably more yeah. regularly, more often, because of the, what levels we have to try and achieve yeah. as an academy. And I don't mean achieve by winning things. Yeah, yeah winning things is nice. But in terms of producing players, yeah. you're getting scrutinised in that because we need to try and develop players. Yeah. And it was a brave decision at that point in the sense of I moved out of comfort zone, but the right decision because I'm working at such a great place yeah. with great people, with, great, with some great players, and um, hopefully you know, continue to go in the right direction. Brilliant. So thanks for taking the time to speak to me, David, and uh, I'll see you soon. Cheers, Donald. Thanks for that. Cheers.